Welcome to the next episode, the next hotness of the Real Tech Tizzle Dizzle, Real Tech Talk podcast with your host, E Breezy, Eric Brody. You know, today is super special. Number one, I want to commandeer two languages in this next statement. It is hot as huevos and I'm schwitzing, okay? Those are two languages of which I know nothing about except a few terms, but I just needed you to know that. Now, most important for today, May 27th, do you know what happened many, 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 I almost gave it away years ago on this date? E Breezy was born. <laughs> Welcome to the birthday celebration of the Real Tech Talk podcast. Can we get a round of applause, people? That's why we're here, bro. This is real tech talk. Boom chocolate. So who the hell are you, bro? You know, what are you into? What do you do? So you can keep it real here. Tell me. Tell me about these real estate players. Eric Brody is the managing principal of CEMVC LLC. All opinions expressed by Eric and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of CEMVC LLC. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of CEMVC LLC may maintain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. So, guys, <laughs> it's been quite a few episodes of the Real Tech Talk podcast, and we're getting a bunch of feedback. So we thought we would switch the style up, and we wanted to do something different, where I would speak to you a little bit about some of the major issues going on and a couple of things that are on my mind sort of about this podcast. So first and foremost, the feedback has been absolutely incredible. And I just want to remind you, we are still looking for investors who want to get involved. We're still looking for technologists who want to get on it. We are getting incredible feedback about what is actually happening in real estate. And you know what the number one comment was, which we are just so shocked about, but we had an inkling and a thought that it was true, was that all of these technologists were never speaking to the actual audience who are the users of their technology. So we were talking about uh, developers called me and said, wow, I can't believe that the technology that you're stating and what you're actually putting out there exists. I want to learn more about it. I had a concrete subcontractor reach out and say, I knew nothing about how construction tech was actually changing the way in which we build. Tell me more about it. Management companies reaching out, using some of the technology to renovate some of the units. And then the way in which users of the actual properties are like, wow, I never understood how that technology was impacting the way I live. I then went to a bunch of events and I would sit down and there's still resistance out there. There's still resistance to change. A lot of the developers who have done extremely well don't understand how technology is going to change. And I always give them this specific example. Here's my example. All things being equal in an apartment. You, the tenant, and let's say, you know, you're tech-savvy little tenant. You know, you're not a, you know, old school. I say to them, with all things being equal, would you go to an apartment where there was technology involved, i.e., you walk in, immediately the Internet's working, or you have to sit and you have to wait for the user, a la Unity. If all things are being equal, the unit is the same, which unit would you take? And no matter what, they always say the one that has the latest technology. And that was my point to this developer. If you're not going to pay attention to it, I'm going to produce the product that the people are going to want to be in. And all things being equal, I'm going to get the tenant. And he's like, you know what? I have no counter argument to that. So we know that it is changing. And that's why this podcast got, is out there. And it's super exciting to talk about some of the stuff that's going on. So while we sit with my producers, producer Mike, producer Max, we were like, yo. Yo, yo. There he is. Look at him. 
He was out there. There he is. And by the way, both very attractive young men, just so everyone is aware. And I was out there speaking to them, and I'm like, yo, why don't we do a podcast and kind of like a little experiment? Because we were hearing from one of my homeboys who's a massive technologist. Why don't you talk a little bit about what some of the major issues out there are, right? And then we can also ask some of the technologists about what some of those issues are impacting real estate. And then we could talk a little bit about how that impact on real estate is, is actually altered by technology. So we put together a little list to talk about. Mike, you want to talk about it? Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's get busy with the uh, latest and greatest information out there. All right, so the first one was, and by the way, both Mike and Max are young men. So what was important to them? They said, why the hell, Eric, are rents so damn high? And I was like, bro, this dude one time, and I forget what he looked like, he had like a white beard. That was his whole campaign. The rents are too damn high. <laughs> now, I don't think he got elected, but I think it's a great topic of discussion. Do you know what I'm saying? There is a rental crisis out there, and there's all these things that are impacting that rental crisis. Why aren't we building enough units to allow that the rent and the cost of that rent would come down, right? So there's a major topic out there talking about a tax abatement, and this will be just straight New York-centric because I don't really know outside of New York City if this is actually occurring, although I heard Miami is now the most expensive rental market out there, so they must also have a supply issue. So first and foremost, I'm assuming it's supply and demand, right? We don't have enough supply for the demand that's there. But why? Why can't we produce those units? So there's a few factors that I see, and I think something super important is I read this book by this guy John Gaddis. It's called On Strategy, all right? And it says, who do you think, and it's theoretically, who do you think is right normally? The person who has a single idea as to why there's an impact or one that has multiple issues that add up to what the total story is and what the total issue is? So I'm going to give you some of those impacts, but there's got to be a plethora of more. And all I was quoting that book is, most likely, I'm not right, and there's others out there, all right? So this is the Eric Brody Real tech talk hypothesis on the rental crisis. All right, make sure we do a disclaimer like right across the screen right now. We disclaim whatever this dude is saying. This is the E Brizzy, E Brizzle Dizzle on the ones and twos. And yet, it is the Real Tech Talk podcast. So I guess the people want to hear me. Okay, so rental crisis number one. We have this big issue right now where government, right, is trying to regulate something called the 421A tax abatement. So here in New York, which you may or may not know, you have to incentivize builders to build, okay? The reason being, land is so expensive in New York, right? We're not making more of it. No one is, you know, we're not uh, Dubai and we're making islands, okay? Land is a finite quantity, okay? So the seller of that land wants the highest value for that property, Historically, and what's been happening, I guess, since like the 90s, I don't think it's been possible, unless you bought the land back in the 90s and held it for development, when you're going to purchase land today, and by the way, I don't fault the landowner, they want the highest number. As a result of that, we call it, what's the highest and best use? If you pay top dollar for that land, you're forcing that developer to build a product where he can get a return. That product is not rentals. Rental is a slow burn, takes time to make money. So what do the developers do when they pay big money? They make condominium units. Those condominium units are so expensive, it's not for the typical renter. So most of the time, people are buying. Why? The developer gets their money back. They make a return on it. It's a capitalist society. So the government created incentives to create 
a rental product called the 421A tax abatement. And basically what it's doing is, what are your major costs when you develop a property? Besides the hard cost and the construction cost when you operate is labor and taxes. So what can the government achieve? They can assist you with taxes. They're lowering your operating costs by fixing the taxes. And when they do that, it allows the underwriting to make a rental make sense so that you can get an actual return on your investment. So that's like, oh shit, that's amazing. Developers love that. So this is a way in which I can buy an asset at these higher values and make a rental work, okay? Now, what did the government want? The government said, okay, no problem. If you're going to make that, and we're going to give you this abatement, we want to make sure that you have affordable housing. That affordable housing is what allows the cost of living and to create more units that are affordable to the everyday New Yorker. All right, that makes sense. But there was a wrinkle. People felt that it was being abused by the developer, that it was a giveaway. And I'm not, by the way, I'm not giving an opinion on it. I'm just stating this is what the political climate is. And as New York has sort of started to go more and more left towards a socialist ideology, they're saying developers are already wealthy enough. We don't need to incentivize them in order to develop rentals. Let's take that program away. So what happens is a development is like the Titanic, meaning it's this massive body that takes three, four, five years to get done. It doesn't get done in one year. You can't pivot. I'm going to start this way, and then I'm going to go that way. I'm thinking condo. Now I'm going to do rental. No. It takes a long time. You have to actually create a plan, look at it 100 times, and then execute on that plan. And changing it is almost an impossibility. And people say, well, why is it an impossibility? Because we raise capital from investors, and we go to banks, and we borrow it based on a business plan. So there's no pivot move. You didn't get approved for that pivot, so there's no way to then switch the style up when you need to. It's you have to make a decision and go with it. So that program, that tax abatement that was incentivizing people to do affordable housing, has it will now sunset in June. And there hasn't been a vote on what the new program will be, but there's a debate. So imagine you're a developer. You want to buy a piece of land. You want to develop a property into a rental. You want to create affordable housing, but the amount of risk creates such uncertainty. So I think that that's one reason that there's a major rental crisis is that we can't provide the supply. Another thing is hard costs have just gotten so expensive supply chain issues. It's like every time out there you hear about another commodity raising in price impacts construction. It is wild. We cannot get a grip on how we can keep supply down. And with inflation rising and with items becoming more expensive, it makes construction more expensive. And at the end of the day, it's the user who suffers in increased rents, in higher condominiums. And by the way, I'm not in NFTs because if I was, I could probably afford all this and not care, right? <laughs> but I'm not an NFT trader. Maybe I should be and get out of this business. But those are the guys who can afford whatever is going on. So that's what we're seeing right now in this rental crisis is like, how do we get more product out there? How do we incentivize the developers to develop? And, you know, it's, a, it's, it's these, these different issues that are really out there impacting. So what's eBreezy think in terms of a six-month, 12-month timeline? What's it looking like for rents? Are we going to keep getting screwed? Well, as a young man, you saying screwed. You know, me as the developer, I'm getting paid, player. You know, so it just depends on what side of the coin you're on here. No, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, people ask me, they're like, yo, 
when should we get in the market and like lease up the space? Like, is rents going to keep rising? With this 421A sort of being uh, sunsetting in June and no new products, like they're they're fighting to get product out. There's a lull right now. Like, I don't think more product is coming out there in the next few months, which is like, if you're going to rent, just go out and grab that damn thing because I think it's only going to get more and more expensive. Like, if there's no new supply, demand is just going to keep going up. And, you know, your demographic came back to the cities, right? There's this sociologist I was listening to who talks about pandemics, right? This is one of my theories. He goes, what do we know about pandemics and have there been there before? Like 19, uh, the uh, Spanish flu, bubonic plague. Like this isn't something that hasn't occurred in the past, right? So what happens? We scatter, right? We're humans. We're like, yo. We go into the suburbs. Actually, there were no suburbs back then. They go to the rural areas, right? We go into the mountains. We got to get out of these cities, right? Then when the societies recover, we come back to the cities, right? What are we seeing here in New York? Still reading in the New York Post. Still, like yesterday. Like still this massive migration to Florida. But on the flip side, you and I are on the streets. What do we see? A lot of young people. A lot of young people. A lot of young people coming back. A lot of sexiness coming back to the streets. So it's all anecdotal. But I'm telling you, if they're coming back, people will start to come back, right? The talent, the, the, edu- the educated, all coming back, picked up on those inexpensive rents, and they're coming back to the cities. So the city needs to recover, as we're stating. But if you're talking about when to rent, I would have been like, yo, you need to rent right now. Everyone who got that discount and took the risk during corona, geniuses. Genius, taking me to get that two-year lease. One of my homeboys is in Tribeca paying like a song for a sick spot because, <laughs> because that landowner that landowner was so scared in that moment, he took advantage of it, you know? All right, I got my people cracking up, all right? I got my people. Let's give them a moment here. Let's give them a moment. No, but he got, he got, they got a rent for a song for three years. At the end of the three years, he's already concerned. He's like, what am I going to do? I'm like, word up. What are you going to do? The actual landlord offered to buy him out of the lease. Imagine you pick up this lease. It has so much value. He's putting so much money on the, left on the table, right, that he's like, I'll buy you out today to just lease it at the market rents, and I'll, and I'll give you half of the upside. Wow. Imagine that. And that's sort of like those guys took the risk and did it amazing. But those of you who are trying to come back to the city today, in the short term, I think it's going to be expensive. Save your pennies. Instead of it being 40 50% on rent, Fuck it, make it 60%, you know, and just run to work. Save money on transportation. <laughs> so what do I think then, theoretically, about the multifamily rental market? Because that's specifically what we're talking about. We're talking about resi here. I didn't talk about office. I'm not talking about commercial. I'm not talking about retail or hotel. Strictly resi. Here's what I think. I think, based on my theory of the overall theory, that people are going to come back to cities, okay? Now, are they going to come back to cities and want to go to an office? That I don't know, and I don't have to speculate on it. But I believe that the exchange of ideas, the exchange of people, the exchange of culture, the exchange of art, the exchange of ideas, I already said that, so that's like redundant. But that exchange, humans still want that. Regardless if we can do it on Zoom or not, we still want that interface and interaction. So I think over the next three years, the population continues to come back to New York and that we're going to see in a quarter or maybe six months, right? And I'm not the only one that thinks that, actually. There's this company out there called Gaia. G-A-I-A, right? And what they did was they sold their portfolio in Texas. Right at the top, everyone's like, Texas on fire. Homeboy sold it. Makes a ton of dough. What does he do with it? 
literally comes back to New York to the LES and to other neighborhoods and starts buying everything. And you're like, he's going counter to what everyone's saying, running from the city. This dude, I don't know if he made a the deal with the devil or whatnot, but he literally sold out at the top of the market in the Southwest. And he came back to New York, and I'm going to say, with the upside, I'm going to buy everything in the city because I know it's coming back up. It's like, man, we need to start paying attention to the people who are going counter to what we're hearing sort of in the paper. So I think that over the next two, three years that New York comes back and that multifamily, of which is doing really well, the development of multifamily will be necessary to reduce some of this demand issue. So we'll see what happens in the short term with the 421A, although they're changing the name of it, by the way. Please, if you look up 421, I think it's called 421G. I don't know if it uh, used to be called uh, Affordable New York. I mean, they always have acronyms, right, for po- political reasons. But And the 421A is like the, the code section in, you know, but it was a tax abatement given by the city. So, okay. So how do we tie that back into sort of technology, right? How is technology going to relieve sort of this rental crisis? Or how is technology going to give us some insight as to these trends and how they change? So I think something that's super important goes back to my boy, which has already been on the podcast, Kale. He's checking what the pipeline is. One of his products is like, what's the pipeline in a neighborhood, right? Development is a precursor to what's actually going to happen because the process takes three years. So we need to get as much data that's available out there to look at these trends to decide where we should be putting up these buildings, where the population is coming back in order to make the appropriate real estate decisions. That's technology. I mean, straight off the bat. The next thing is, if, if I'm me and I'm a landlord, well, my tenants are paying top dollar now, right? And they deserve to be in a facility that equates to the dollars that they're paying. So for me, it's like, if you bring in the internet of things, and I keep saying IoT, what does that mean? That's just the way that the hardware, the software, and the Wi-Fi are interfacing within a building, right? Those conveniences. Your laundry is here, sir or ma'am. The gym is available for you. Those things will make you feel as if at least technology is being integrated and there's value in this pricing that you're paying. And that doesn't cost the landlord a ton of money to provide that convenience. So to me, that's another thing. Keep your tenants in place. Do the right thing and provide them what they expect by even when they're paying. So maybe they'll be a little less resentful when they're paying the rent and they'll want to actually pay. So... Those are some of the you know, hot takes on the uh, rental crisis. All right, let's talk about the next hot, hot. This is the hotness. By the way, we were talking, and we were like, these are the most important subjects like, out there right now. You know, like, who doesn't want to hear about inflation? So let's tell them. Let's tell them like it is. Inflation. In the moment, right? And this still comes down to the data that is now surrounding me. We're seeing less sales. Boom, I said it. I'm going to give that a moment. Boom, put the thing. You see the emoji? Boom, you see it. Inflation. Most of the people looking to buy, and I'm not talking about the top 1% because we can all say the top 1%. Let's talk to everybody else and not just the top 1%. If it costs you $2,500 for a mortgage and now it's $3,500, that hurt you. Your dollar cannot go as far. You can't buy the same asset that three weeks ago you could have bought. 
it is impacting sales. I don't know if it's impacting sales in the high end. I don't believe so. But in the middle range and the low range, it will impact us. So if inflation and interest rates rise, we'll see less transactions. People ask me, they're like, yo, theoretically, what do you think will actually happen? I'm not old enough to know when people talk about New York being at 10, 12, 15%. I say to myself, we can barely handle when it's 3 and 4% on construction financing, right? When I just told you land is ridiculous, hard costs are going up. I can't imagine what happens if it goes to 5, 6, 7, 8%, especially with the headwinds on the tax abatement. Like, will anyone actually build? Will we just have less and less supply and demand will go through the roof and only the most wealthy will actually be able to afford New York? Like, I don't know. But it is really interesting to watch because you know how my mind works? I say to myself, I'm looking at some of the technologists and I say to myself, is what they're providing going to ease some of that pressure? Is what they're providing going to allow that for a different alternative way of actually living to make money? Like it's, it's I don't really understand completely, but I'm really curious and I'd love to hear from our audience or from anyone out there how what they think, what the theory of how inflation and interest rates rising are going to impact real estate. Because in the moment, we're seeing it. Less sales. Done. Less refinances, too expensive. Lowering of proceeds when you refinance, because refinancing is predicated on the rent roll. And if the rent roll is there, which is great, but the interest rate rises, you're going to get borrow less money, right? And there was this major article about how much cash needs to be refinanced or how much debt has to be refinanced in 2022 or 2023. And it's like, if retail rents didn't rise, offices are getting effed up, how are you supposed to refinance out this debt? Does that mean there's going to be a tons of defaults? I don't know. It's going to be really interesting out there to kind of see it, you know? So stay tuned. We'll take a look. We'll do a follow-up. We'll find out how it's really going to impact. It's kind of fresh off the, you know, fresh off the boat right now. So we'll find out what the story is. But again, we're tying it back to technology. And all we need to see is like an efficient way of viewing information in order to make those decisions. So is there technology out there that's trying to sort of aggregate that data and I know one, and I'm going to be bringing in another technologist, another innovator, of which we'll talk about in a minute, who I'd love to ask that question to. This dude is like a super genius who all he does is take data points and trying to analyze it, but I don't want to give it away. You know what I'm saying? We got we to gotta tease little out teaser our audience. For the audience. tease. You yeah, know what yeah. I'm saying? So let's do it. So let's talk about the macro issues impacting construction today, right? <laughs> and if we ever see that that's going to happen, that it's going to change. It seems like every day that we look, construction costs keep going up, right? I quoted it before. We're building slower than we were 50 years ago, right? Construction tech can assist us in changing that. Construction tech's biggest issue is the friction of everyone understanding and then wanting to actually use it. We spoke about 9,000 prop tech companies. Let's say there's 900 in construction. They're all fighting for the People on the other side, the ones doing the construction to actually use their technology. You could literally tell them how it's going to change the world, and they'll say, you know, I don't want to learn it. I've always done it this way, okay? So we're seeing some trends out there that I think are just super fresh, right? And when I speak to these technologists, I always say, don't try to provide a complete solution. Just take a little bit, chip away at it, right? Then you'll say to me, well, why not? And I'll give you a great example. We have been trying to use modular construction forever. We've been trying to build buildings and factories, deliver them to a job site, and then they go up. Like, isn't that amazing? I love it. Never works. Never works. And then people go, what are you talking about? 
this dude with like resources, backing, backs this company called Katera, right? To do modular housing. Failed, out the door, done, break up the little pieces, peace. But it makes so much sense. We'll build somewhere offsite, bring it to the job site, and drop it. What is the big deal? So much so that the capital requirements, the teams, the sophistication, how about the complexity of construction? Failure, right? So the idea of taking and creating an entire solution, I think that's a fallacy. We'll get there, right? We started with email, now we got our phones, right? It will slowly get there. Biting off more than you can chew, I think, is a recipe for disaster. So we're seeing a few trends, which I think are fresh. And I think it's important to bifurcate that into two categories. Construction, like anything in life, is about time and money. Time and money, right? General contracting is about contracts, contract law, administration. If I were to tell you that half of construction is paperwork, you'd lose your shit. But half is paperwork. Getting someone to execute in the field is just half the battle. There's a whole side to it about how the money flows. What are the requirements, the warranties, the guarantees, the contracts, how you're supposed to go about your actual day to build that building. That is half of construction. So there's two sides to the equation. The first one is the money side. Money side, project management. You're seeing it out there being tackled. Procore, building link. Not building link. That's the... Uh, multifamily one, but like Procore, project management softwares, accounting softwares out there. That's your admin side. And you know what? Getting tackled decently well, actually. Getting a couple companies out there worth a billion dollars and really expanding. People really understood that. It was easy, not easy. It took them you know, 20 years to figure it out, but really getting disrupted out there. And the most successful one is the one that's open source. If you've got a better module on accounting or whatever, come play with us. No problem. Super smart. The other side is the field. The field is having a lot more trouble understanding how technology can change it, right? I was saying one time that this company who had uh, the cameras, they have those cameras and we're, we're logging information about what work was done. If you and I don't get analytics from it telling us how to be better the next day, the next week, or the week after, who gives a shit if you're logging this information? So that in seven years when someone sues me, I can be like, all right, I did it. Okay, but the field, right, the time. How do we reduce time? How do we create efficiency in the field? Much harder to actually tackle. But if Elon Musk can sometimes maybe, I think since 2014, create an autonomous vehicle, I think we can get some data about what's happening in the field in order to impact how we build, right? I always equate this to the military, right? In the military, we say, yo, we got to get to this point at this time. They don't tell you how to get there. They got a strategy. But what about the logistics and the tactics, right? And even back in the day, like Wellington, when he took over Napoleon in the field, he had cavalry, he had infantry, right? He had his soldiers lined up theoretically as to what he wanted. But then you know what he did? He rode around on a horse and made changes as to what was actually happening in the field in the moment, right? How do you get that when you talk about the field, which is the time component? You don't. We theoretically come up with an idea of what the logic is going to be about how we're going to build. But we never get then data. We call it a two-week look-ahead telling us where we should move resources at any moment to then win. There's got to be sensors out there to change that game. And that's what we're starting to see in the field. How we're going to get data in the field to make us better builders. So if the margins and construction is already going slow and it's been 50 years, if we can get data and information and then be able to react to that data, I think that can change the game and reduce some of the costs. So I think that there's a huge, huge 
opportunity in construction. I just think that the resistance is incredible, right? Supply side, we spoke about it. We had our boy on, Amassed, right? Boaz Gilat. He's trying to work out how supply can actually get more efficient. I think that's brilliant. Create a marketplace for supply. What's his issues going to be? Creating the relationships with every single supplier, every single sub out there. That is resistance to making that work. But if he's able to solve that, it's huge, right? So I think that construction has a lot of incredible places. Look, all of these things should be millimeter, millimeter and millisecond change in the construction and development business, but hopefully they'll add up to something incredible. But I, my, my suggestion is take it one step at a time because we can't handle big change. All right? I like it. All right? And you can translate you know, from the technologists to the construction people. You sit between them. Yeah, you know what it is? I barely know the language of English. I certainly don't know other languages. So maybe my ability to translate technology speak into real world speak is my only gift that's left. <laughs> now, before we end this most amazing episode of the Real Tech Talk podcast, I want to talk a little bit about how pop tech and, and, and technology and real estate has been getting rocked lately. And again, I went back to that John Gaddis, you know, quote on on strategy. My point being is this is my one theory, which inherently means it's wrong. But this is my theory and I'm sticking to it. People got so hyped about technology, they pour dollars in, right? They pour so much money into it, they take the money, right? Because how are you going to say no to money? But they don't know if they can sustain the return. It's as if these technology companies forgot about fundamental business, although some of them, I don't disagree, need to lose money for a while, and then they skyrocket and make money. But it's like, oh, are you making money? Is it a viable product? Doesn't matter. We'll keep dumping money in. And as long as we keep dumping money in, we can't tell if you make any money. So I think that the future, right, so that's what I think is hitting many of these companies, you know, and I'm not going to name any of them or give them any press or whatever it is, but I think their valuations are getting rocked because they are making money. They are changing the game. Just too much money and too much capital went in that remember an investment is a return on the initial capital that it's just not there it's just not there yet so they keep downsizing they keep cutting so that they can create sustainable businesses so what do i think the future is i think that the future of prop tech is when you come up with these technologies and start changing the game that you fundamentally follow business principles because that doesn't change as a result of technology whatever revenue you're making getting a return on the initial investment is how much then new people will invest in it and then if they believe that if a huge influx of capital with a specific business plan works fine but people are just scraping up dollars grabbing the money and still not making a return and it's super hard to want to invest or super hard to want to see you succeed if it's just a money pit of loss so that's what i think the future is just a Going back to some of the basic principles of business, applying the way that technology is driven. We're doing great. I mean, the big media companies are reaching out. We're being told, bridging the gap between technology and explaining to us in real terms what's important is so important. But you want to know what's important to us? I need ratings. I need reviews. I need you to follow. I need subscriptions. I need it all. I need your feedback. Interface with me. I'm not doing this by myself. I know I'm up here talking to myself right now. Actually, I'm talking to my producers. But I need you. I want you. So tell me what's up. Rate it. Review it. Watch it. I want to hear it. And reach out to me. Real Tech Talk Podcast at Gmail, <laughs> otherwise known as gmail.com. Reach out. Say what's up. We'll get back to you. E underscore B-R-O-D-Y-E underscore Brody. By the way, is that my government name? Maybe. I don't know. Does it matter? He's still from BK. Next, we got 
at Real Tech Talk. All right, listen, I'll see you out there. Always say what's up to me when you see me. Always say, uh, let me know what you're feeling. I'll be getting back to everyone on it. Been having a lot of fun with this. So stay tuned. We got other fresh, fresh technologists coming back. We've taken people's advice. We got new formats, but no thing remains the same. Max Spinelli and Mike Bramanti always making me look good, and that remains the same. It's been a pleasure.